Hey there, Beverly Hills 90210 fans. It's now time to dive deep into an episode-by-episode, character-by-character, song-by-song account of the making of your favorite zip code. With your host, Charles Rosen. I sit in the chair. It's one of Sandy's antiques the whole thing breaks. Larry Mullen. He should be in the show. I hope they're going to kill him, and they did. Pete Ferrero. My, like, TV crush is Claire Arnold. So, I mean, she has to come on the show at this point. And representing the fans, Lily Amaran. Ryan, I love you. I have dreamt about you. What? Along with many special guests. And your questions. So sit back and relax, because it's, like, totally time for the Beverly Hills 90210 show. Okay, here we are back again uh, for another exciting episode. Um, I'm going to start with Lily this week. Lily, how is everything going in uh, fan universe? What's what's happening on your end? Everything is going great. We're excited to be here and to have Karen with us tonight and to talk about these two iconic episodes and Shannon as LeBoyne. Um, so it's going to be a good one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, are you maintaining um, police status inside the forums? Everything's good. You're, you, you know, the all day, order. every day. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then, of course, Charles Rosen. How are you, man? How's everything uh, going on in in your world? Oh, great. Well, you know, it was uh, I, I cl- last two mornings. My collaborator and I have gotten up early, and we've actually caught waves together. Wow. She's not just pretty and smart. She can catch waves. A little real life uh, Brandon and or Brenda and Dylan right here, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, the legendary Karen Roser, maybe the better half of this collaboration. I don't know. Depends on who you talk to, but I imagine it's this way. Uh, Karen Rosen is joining us, who collaborated on many episodes, but we're talking about two. How is everything going uh, with you and in your in the universe? What's happening? Good, good. Like you said, we were looking forward to Wednesday. We were just looking forward to chatting with you this week. But uh, yeah, we're doing good. Very awesome. And they're they're in the same place, but in separate locations, right? So yeah, we uh, sleep in the same bed, but computer, we got two different rooms. We're <laughs> in the penthouse, and I'm in the basement. That answers all your questions anyone needs to know. Exactly. <laughs> but I want to say that before we begin, if it's okay with you, Pete, yeah. I want a few people want to shout out to. Uh, one who I'm going to talk about later, but thank you very much for the nice words you said, Beth, Aaron, Peterspiel. Um, I want to thank uh, Mike Richardson, too, for getting back on the music. We and I will talk about that, and we will make some trouble together. And um, happy birthday to Drew Kinney, our, our art director, one of the very cool guys in North Carolina, uh, um, an erstwhile and, and maybe still Grateful Dead fan. So he's a good guy and was did great art and is in there. And then I want to do a shout-out for Gretchen Dalton. One of the people who was in the Double Up community was a real crew person. I don't know if you remember, Karen, but she actually, I noticed when I was looking famous where you find it, she was one of the unpaid extras. <laughs> because we had no money to pay extras. So come on, crew, get in here, you know? And, yeah. And it was great to see her face. Well, listen, speaking of birthdays, it's also my TV crush's birthday today. Oh, uh, gosh. Yeah. The beauty. How old is. Uh, Miss Kathleen today. Know, not really, I'm not going to reveal that, but uh, okay, it's Kathleen I, Robertson's uh, birthday today. And just for an update on the fans, we have not heard from Kathleen, but 
to somebody who's maybe working on it behind the scenes. We we shall we shall see how that goes. But anyway, guys, make sure you check out the Beverly Hills uh, 90210 Show Shop for all your fun merchandise and uh, and whatnot. But I'm really excited to get into this episode. There's two really good ones here. But before we get into the episodes, I'm curious to know, how is it that Charles and Karen even wind up meeting each other in this crazy universe of millions of people? <laughs> well, I could tell. So let's see. Um, we actually met through my roommate in college, whose name is Nadine. Nadine Mushin Prosperi. Hi, Nadine, if you're listening. Um, and she, uh, I, so I actually met my in-laws before I met Charles. And um, I was a, gosh, junior in college, right? And, you and we had a couple of false starts in meetings. He, we, he came to visit one time. I didn't quite know where he was, who he was exactly. She was trying to explain because her, her um, brother was, was married to his sister. And it was, um, it was a, I was thinking this is Nadine's cousin somehow. And I just didn't write quite place him. And I thought he was older and married and lived in Boston. He was actually just going to school in Boston. I wasn't really getting the program. But once he walked in and I actually established who he was, um, we met and we were engaged in about two months, which is very unusual for that year, which was 1977 when nobody got married, except we just- Engaged in 76. Engaged in 76. Even more rare. I was still in college, but- um, I was born in 76. All right, well- August 16th. Not be your parents, me. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck, how do you recall? recall so I'm, I'm completely different. Mine was love at first sight. She didn't even know who I was for a bunch of months. I kept thinking I was with someone I wasn't so happy. And I look at it, God, she is really cute. Oh, she's smart too. Okay. And then uh, looked up, and it's been it's been a life together. But when I met Karen, as she says, she was a junior at UCLA. She was in the uh, theater department. She was uh, doing writing plays, but also was on the main stage. So she was a writer, actress, and then committed more to the writing side um, right after she graduated and right after we were, we were already married because she went into a graduate playwriting program, uh, which was really good. It was a real interesting group. Um, some of Karen's classmates were was Corbin Burnson, the actor wow. from uh, L.A. Law in this. Uh, and then the other was uh, a man named Rob Sternen, who was Karen's writing partner and who uh, ended up creating The Nanny. Oh, very with his, cool. With his wife, who became his next writing partner after Karen. Yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden, she's going to law school at UCLA, and she's doing great. And she graduates top of her class, and she becomes an entertainment lawyer. And uh, and she was really good at that. And yeah. then all of a, a sudden, a little bit. Can I just say, I got a little disillusioned with the front of the camera stuff because I, I felt like kids in in LA were really more oriented towards a commercial, not theater, etc. I'm from New York, right. and had a theater background, etc. And um, so I thought maybe I'd get into the business from from as a producer. I'd be an entertainment lawyer, and I would do that. And I didn't realize. <laughs> I thought law would be just like an extension of your college degree. And I ended up liking it quite a bit. I, I really did find it challenging, intellectually stimulating, all of that. And uh, yeah, so I was working as an entertainment lawyer for four years when I had my first child. 
I was the first associate to have a baby at this big law firm, and they had no maternity policy in 1985. So No maternity policy. Another example that even though we're messed up and have so much still to do, we have come a long way in some regards. Yeah, maternity policies now, at least. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so it, 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 it. long story short, I took a break from the law at that point and went back to acting, writing, some directing. I was doing improv and stuff like that. And and that's when, um, and then I started, because I was having children, and I had two when, I thought I had two when this show started, but <laughs> unexpectedly, I was, <laughs> and my third, our little surprise blessing, Avery, our, our third child was, I was pregnant right as the first season we started writing on the show, right as that, that I'm just right. curious, how did you get her to start writing with you? Was it before 90210, or was it during this time? Well, as I say, Karen really had the pedigree in theater and writing, and she had a real appreciation about it. She wrote about it. She knew about it. So it was a question of after, you know, the law and the baby and getting reoriented, how is she going to start writing again? And you got into that AFI program. Yes. It's interesting. You talk, you know, which was about how to write a good after school special, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. you're just talking about that. Yeah. And exactly. um, yeah. and she wrote a really terrific one. I don't it was not the one they chose because it wasn't preachy. It was really just kind of wonderful. <laughs> Karen, wait a second. Is one of the characters like basically Lydia in that one? Yes, that's so I forgot this because <laughs> too, yeah. in the first episode, we're going to talk about Famous Where You Find It, which was number 14 of the yes. first season. Um, we named the lead character, Lydia Leeds, who happens to be my best friend from school. And um, I went to the same school from kindergarten to 12th grade. Um, but uh, it was a great name. <laughs> Yeah, used it in. Um, I'm sorry, in the uh, in the show as the as the main character, but we also did other things with that character over time. We just liked the name very much. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, listen, Tracy says uh, Karen has such an impressive background. Go Bruins! Yeah, yeah Bruins! <laughs> <laughs> right. Emmanuel says Chuck and Karen what a powerhouse. So that's thanks, great. Emmanuel. Yep. Uh, you went to UCLA, but there's also Cal. But you asked how we started writing together. Yeah. You know, Chuck had a very different uh, style than I did when we first started. He was into very much social issues, uh, thriller kind of drama, dramatic pieces. Um, and exactly, I was, Karen I, was sitcom. You like sitcoms? I like I like sitcoms, but I I wrote plays, and I I always yeah. my dialogue always had sort of a comedy aspect to it. That was I was more oriented that way um, at the time, but. Um, but yeah, Karen and, came from a showbiz family. Her father was married. Father was a writer. He started radio with Fred Allen, and he wow. your show of shows. His name was Mort Green, and he was um, a writer producer at Perry Como Show, the Andy Williams Show. Wow, uh, some people are like they've never heard of that. I know all of those things. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the young kids won't know those, but uh, but they might hear one or two songs from them sometimes. At Christmas. Sure. Yeah. But yes, but they, but he, but you know, comedy variety kind of died out. So he had a kind of a checkered career, hence my going to law school. Um, yeah. you know, but, um, but yeah, he was a comedy writer. My dad, he was always with the jokes. So, yeah. So, uh, Chuck, I'm curious how you merge her into the world of Aaron Spelling and. Oh, well, you know, it was, so here's Karen and she's just to give you her CV. Me very quickly. Um, I was, uh, Karen gave me the, an article from the village voice 
and basically said, this would make a good movie. And I did. And I had a calling card script and I had to wait until other people realized that, hey, I have a good script now. You're going to have to do this, this one eventually. And it did get made 11 years later. But nonetheless, it got me work. So by the time Karen finished law school, I, I had already been a working writer for three years. Mm. I, I was very fortunate. I didn't have that long apprenticeship. There wasn't much competition. Karen is exactly right, by the way, when she says she was theater and, and, and you know, and comedy variety. I was more social drama and movies. I never expected to be in television, quite frankly. And the script that I wrote, The Calling Card, well, I wrote it as a feature for Terry Gar to play the lead. Mm. And uh, and the, the feature people went, you know, this is a nice script. Uh, please give us something. Uh, your next script, we'd like to read it too. And the TV people said, are you available in February to do a rewrite? And so my theory in art is you're a rat in a maze and you go where the light is. And the light was in television and that's where we ended up. Yeah. And so, but Karen, all of the TV movies that I ended up doing for the eighties, and that was my credit pilots. I had an active career. Um, Karen was my best critic and my proofreader. And she was there for me. And, and sometimes would say, but really also point out for me, I was very confident in story structure. I still am quite frankly, almost to a, an obnoxious degree, but, <laughs> but Karen was always really good with dialogue. And I was pretty gun shy with that because journalists didn't write dialogue. They didn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't part of what I was doing or even thinking about. So it was a really good combination. We had the dialogue writer and the person who could generate story and knew how to structure it at the same time, learned how to over time. Very much like music and lyrics to a, to a degree. Yes. If yeah. either of us could carry a tune, I'd say yes. <laughs> so how do you approach Aaron about this? About her coming to write? Or, or is she well, just... We were very ex well, we were very excited. That's the fact that I had gotten... Oh, we forgot the connection about the, it's the, the calling card. Oh. Script. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just wrote an article about it. it. The um, article in the Village oh. Voice was called The Fierce Dreams of Jackie Watson. So that's what we like to call the script, even though when it was eventually made 11 years later, they called it The Child Saver. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was network TV Jackie for you. Watson. Yeah. It was written by Ayanthi Thomas, and it was a very wonderful article. Anyway, that particular script got optioned by Aaron Spelling uh, for $2,500. I'm going to say the amount I'm not supposed to say, but for like a two-week option, which is a was a lot of money in like 1975. Sure. Somebody was making $250 a week. What year would that be? 78, maybe. 79. Yeah, 78. Yeah. yeah. So, that you know, but it was for Kate Jackson who didn't take it. and. Mm. Uh, and um and so, but that was his first in inkling with Aaron. <laughs> his first, and this yeah. is my. But what is it? So she, he knew you, or did not know that Karen was writing with you. How does how do you approach him and say, Karen and I are going to do some stuff together, or were you already kind of doing it? Well, remember, I um, was new to the, all of this, so yeah. I didn't realize what showrunners could do and not do. Like for instance. Um, you know, I didn't even know you were supposed to go to sound mixes. I mean, they kind of said it, but I didn't go to like seven episodes into it. I was like, what do I do? Oh, okay. But right. um, but I got to hire some of the directors. Like, go on, Karen. What, Sonny? Were you going to say, Karen? Being very good at those sound mixes. That was a good 
Yeah. Thank you. But anyway, I, I, uh, but, but I, and I got to hire some of the early directors and I just basically were doing writing assignments. We have a very young staff, a staff that didn't have any, very many credits, if at all. And I said to Aaron, she's just a terrific writer and I'd really like her to do that. And he was by all means. We um, had written I, before. We had written before. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. A terrible script, I must say. It was a bad script. We wrote when it, we was. Had it was. It was my idea. It was bad. Many, many years ago. Remember, Karen's first assignment, we're going to glaze over it here, because mm-hmm. gloss over it here, I should say, because uh, we'll do a deep dive sometime yeah. then down so, the line. But her first assignment and the first thing that she won everybody's hearts was Isn't It Romantic? That's her right. first script. That's her first TV credit. She won an, We won an award for it. Um, it was quite an experience, and we're not going to talk about it. No, not at all. Yeah, not only, only maybe just what your experience le- was like, Karen, writing for such a for for this juggernaut of a show. I mean, I know it wasn't really. It in was the- no juggernaut at the time. At, at that it time, was, it yeah. was on a network nobody heard of. Really, it had been living. Remember, it had The Simpsons and was in Living Color. Married with not children. Even married married with children. children. Wasn't married even there with children was on it. Yeah. And it was only on three nights a week, maybe, right? Yeah. So maybe it was the fourth, maybe. Yeah. fourth other network. wasn't really real. Um, and Aaron Spelling had been, he was in the lull. You know, I think you may have said this before. ABC was called Aaron's Broadcasting Company because for a while he had the kind of deal where if they canceled the show of his, they would put on another show of his. That's how it yeah. went. And he made a lot of money for them. Uh, but this was a lull. He was not active he could have been heading for the pasture and this was a really revival and revived yeah. for another 10 years uh, really and um so it wasn't a juggernaut it wasn't and really the we really have used to say that the reason we were allowed to stay on this because fox had nothing to replace it with you know we didn't have anything standing by which was kind of true but you know we had the order for 12 episodes and we kept saying we just got to get to the in order for the back nine if we get the back nine you know, make yeah. 21. And so we was, get sarah oh. says isn't it romantic is her favorite episode so there you go uh, and <laughs> off on the right foot yeah so we get to so we did it we got those first 12 we didn't get canceled but instead of getting that precious back nine that karen was talking about fox again didn't have very many much money and we, they weren't that confident about us and our ratings. And so they would give us the order, two scripts at a time. Not even two production orders, two script orders. The least amount of money they could spend in it. And one of them was uh, because after the 12th. And, um, and so this was one of those two that, that was out of those first scripts. And Karen and I were remembering, I think we wrote this in about once we got one thing cleared up, which we'll talk about in a second, Karen, I think we wrote this in like four days. Very quick. I mean, it was one of those. Yeah, season one. This was a. It was. Yeah. Very quick. And it's interesting though, season one, because we we've talked about this, and I sometimes I bring these things back up because people are maybe this is the first time they're watching our show, you know. But um, it's interesting that you know, in this first season, there was like, are these episodes serialized? Is this a serialized drama or are these just one-offs? So, you know, what was the kind of rule in this process uh, in that first season for either of you? The first season, 
was, you know, I feel I did five seasons and I did five different television series. And the first series was called The Walsh Family. Right. And it was pretty easy to structure. You did a Brenda story, you did a Brandon story, you did a Brenda story, you did a Brandon story. Darren, right in the middle of it, threw a loop in and said, no, we're going to do a Kelly story because, you know, we did Perfect Mom pretty early on. Yeah. And but that was basically what the, the point was. You tried to figure out how to use them. And yeah, we'll be. And they did not want, correctly if I'm wrong, they did not want serialized storytelling because if you sell to syndication, you know, you want to be able to air them any order any, and not get mixed up. It's easier, you know, if they stand sure. Interesting. Yeah. And no, oh, yeah. Not, I'm, I'm having a flashback, and I know it's true because it was one of these horrible things. So we turned in our episodes. We were really proud of our first six episodes. They were all serialized. Nobody told us not to do serialized. <laughs> I had been on Sane Elsewhere. I knew how to serialize. I thought that was that was very popular at that point with so and and, and spelling shows for in fairness, they, spelling shows were, were serialized. All of them were, were pretty much serialized. So it would be, you know, Knott's Landing well, or the thematic series well, were all, you know. They died for Mr. Spelling Dynasty was serialized, but yeah, you know, the love right. boat wasn't and sure, it was the island, true, right? Yeah. The, the funny thing is, you know, that the, you know, because it was a high school show, they really could have wanted them to remain in high school like forever. Mm. And so even when we got to the second season, you know, Charles was going, well, we have to make um, realistic things happen. Like what happens in school at what point of the year? And if you've gone through prom or something, you have to start the next year. So are you repeating right. grade again or what? They were really vague about what grade they were and they never said until senior year right that the bulk of them were in the senior class so we had to like we were saying really you think they're sophomores is that what you think they were so we made them sophomores and juniors and seniors but the first year you'll see there's no reference to sophomore anything Any they're trying to treat it like uh, the simpsons and the pilot there was was oh, there yeah. the pilot when brenda confesses to jason her true age she says i'm a junior in high school, sixteen. Junior, year old junior. okay. Well, annuity <laughs> because nope. then they were juniors. <laughs> but that was like the only time that I can remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what so, we thought, but they didn't want them to move on and graduate, you know. Because uh, by the way, a college, a successful college show, had never been done before before they went to college. So. And in this first season, though, you're still developing all these characters. We've done a lot of episodes on this podcast where we talked about something in season four or three where we know Brenda did this two years ago. So this is all the groundwork for everything that we're going to, like, fall in love with for all these seasons, you know. So you're laying sort of the the map or whatever you, you want to say for these characters. So what is... And and how familiar are are you, Karen, at that point with these characters? You know, by the time we kind of get to fame is where you find it. And uh, how are you learning and developing what you think they may or may not do with basically no background or history? You know, well, at least in this particular episode, it was a Brandon and a Brenda story. They really the the other characters really had very little to do. You know, they were very much there was no C. You know. Gabrielle's story at that time or whatever, no, no Andrea's story. But, um, you know, it came about, well, we were lucky. We lucked out with Shannon being able to do what she did. And, um, and you know, that it, it, really what happened is, as opposed to the knowing the characters, you get to know your actors and the actors' talents kind of infuse the character. So that as you right. get to know them, 
Yeah. Good point. You wait, you need to, I, you know, I don't know how to deal with actors. I'm a first time showrunner. So exactly what Karen is saying. You have to create things that they can, A, can do, but B, want to do. Putting Jason Priestley on skates, yeah. high-end high rollerblades with his hockey stick. Jay was a major hockey player, Canadian, for God's sakes, from BC, and he was a really good one. As as we'll see later in in season two, so we knew we had that, but and and it, and we knew that you know Shannon uh, as, as had acted for a long time, so you know you can play this character in this. And but look, doing a deep dive right now, Karen, to the one scene that we planted, which which really plays out well and kind of sets up Laverne, is when she's having lunch with the girls on, mm. in the, at, at Torrance High, and she's doing other voices, the Valley Girl, a Cockney. And, you know, I couldn't help but think watching it today, you know, how much she always loved playing at, at being an actress, playing other characters, whether, it, and we just went through it with Divas and, and some of the yeah. other Tennessee Williams stuff. Hey, the question came in, good one. Karen, uh, which character from Melanie Rose, who I got to meet this week, by the way. She's a very, very nice person. Uh, Hi, Melanie. Uh, Karen, which character in general did you find was most challenging to create and write stories for? Mm. Which character in general most difficult? Um, Especially in this time period, I, I'm thinking, you know? Time period. Season one. I'm yeah. saying season one. Well, I, I, I improv your, your question, Melanie. Yes. You know, of the one... Mm. They were pretty, all pretty easy. I'm, I'm, I'm saying they, you know, they all had such, so many, so much potential. I mean, to be honest, and you know, I love Tori and I love Donna and what she evolved into. But I would have been hard pressed to find the starring episode for her in the first season because I didn't really know what her character was. Her character really developed over time as they saw what kind of, what kind of acting chops she had and that she could do comedy, etc. Mm. And just grew it and she was sweet and she grew into a sweet friend you know so it's that she wasn't meant to be a snobby bitch she was you know what i mean like yeah. kelly and her could have been the snobby mean girls but they sure. it just worked out better when they were friends you know so everybody being friends and then having the normal problems friends well, yeah. also also you know i think you know the hardest one but the, because he he, he was let, i'm not saying anybody was cookie cutter they the actor we brought things for them to do and expand they did as actors in this, but I think just you know Dylan McKay was a little bit amorphous. He's a, a rich guy and he lives in a hotel and his father did what and where has he been and and um, and so I think that he was the, the most um, the most uh, off the off the grid a little bit. His kind of character you didn't see any character like Dylan McKay in other TV shows. Probably why he was one of the reasons he was so popular. Totally, absolutely. The funny thing about this episode is, if I just could jump in with it, is that actually what I sort of enjoyed in rewatching it recently was how we have them all talking about um, all the characters are talking about showbiz kids, you know, which they all actually are. All these right. actors actually were showbiz kids, and they were complaining about the showbiz kids in the show and that all of the various. Trials and tribulations of that. Kind oh, of happened. Yeah, and then the same thing would happen at Beverly High. You know, those the actors' kids hung out with the, you know with each other, and then all of a sudden, I remember being in drama class and in, in, in high school and having a making doing scenes with and really enjoying Desi Arnaz, 
Yeah. And all of a sudden, Desi Arnaz is starring in his mom's TV show. Bye bye. I didn't really ever see him. He had other <laughs> friends he saw, but I never saw him after that. You know? But when you wrote this show, was that, was that thought on purpose? Like that we were writing a show about sort of the experiences that these actors may or may not be having, like going to clubs and hanging out and all this stuff? Or was your idea for this story, this script, just totally non related to what the kids may have been going through in that time period? It was it was related to what they were going to because they did do those things, you know. But you know, go to clubs and maybe you know all that stuff. Yeah. But it also was kind of you know because Beverly Hills is about a minute from Hollywood. It's not far, you know. It's Beverly Hills, not out in the boondocks anywhere. It's in the center of LA, you know, surrounded by you know West Hollywood, the next community over so uh, and then Hollywood and so there was a big overlap and so the story you talk about Beverly Hills you got to talk about Hollywood a little bit and so what would you think would be you know how many people come to LA to be discovered sure and you know it's interesting because certainly the Fox broadcasting was trying very much to if you think about it it was the Midwestern family moving to the I remember their publicist words accelerated lifestyle of Beverly Hills. And so, it, you know, it was it was how are they going to fit in with all the things there? They did. Are they going to go Hollywood or not? Especially you have Steve Sanders. You had Kelly Taylor, who seemed to know every bit of gossip about everybody of showbiz kids sure. and whatever yeah. else in that as well. Um, but they actually asked us to to do a lightweight episode. Right. Because, you know, it was now... Sandy Grushell had taken over as, as current and they're going, Hey guys, you know, we've done all this social drama. Don't you think we can lighten it up a little bit? Because we did lighten it up on the episode that had done uh, two before this one, which was slumber party, which also was the first of that. They kept asking for social drama. We did social drama and they said, gosh, social drama is really nice, but how about we get some other teenage stuff? And we were really glad we did. And this was the first one. Uh, that we did in that way, and it it it, it was interesting uh, looking at it again because um, even though it was you know Brenda and Brandon, this was a Brandon episode. It was you pitched it. It was Brandon goes Hollywood, and then as the afterthought, and Brenda has to work at the Peach Pit. I mean, I think it was the the B story all the way. Uh, uh-uh, Brenda wasn't going to make this a B story, and you remember it as her story. Yeah, Ultimately, I think her episode totally you know, become iconic because of Brenda. Absolutely, yeah. Go and, ahead. And Joey Tata, who played Nat, Nat yeah. um, would always tell me whenever I see him, the fans always tell me that's their favorite episode. They always, they, you know, whereas some for the diehard fans, maybe it's not the favorite because it's right. not part of the love triangle, et cetera, et cetera, and yeah. it is a little different tone. In fact, we were just reviewing. And I had forgotten this. That Justin, that Sandy, when he saw that after we shot the script, they approved the script, by the way. After we shot it, they came back and they said, "Well, it's not really the tone of the show, and we want to reshoot it." And we didn't reshoot anything. We didn't have money. And in fact, that's just about this episode, particularly. This was um, when I looked at it again. I saw what a big difference from uh, from season two. I mean, you could see the low budget quality of a lot of things. I I could see that scenes were there that I know they didn't have a chance to take many takes on. They just had to get it and go kind of thing. Yeah. A lot. There was locations, etc. And here's here's something too that's an interesting thing to point out. That um, so 
the songs in this episode are all Peach Pit songs. Even Ooh. before she starts singing, uh, it's my party. It's, yeah. It, it's finger popping time. It's it's an old one called Sally Goes Round the Roses, and this and those were our songs. But when the girl, when when Lydia goes to the nightclub and they're dancing, that's a faux song. It's not a real song. It's it's oh. it's just the instrumentation of trying. Let's save. Ten thousand dollars here, or whatever it would have cost yeah. them to, you know, a license of the song. So anytime we were looking, you know, for that, and uh, some of that pressure was reduced in the second year, and then completely reduced after the third. Year. Chuck, I'm curious when she just Karen just told the story that Sandy wanted they got the script back and then uh, they wanted to reshoot this. How was that for you? What was your reaction to something like like that back? Okay. You guys remember that that you know that there were really two people who were my uh, uh, teachers uh, doing this, and and there was Aaron Spelling, of course. But because I got a crash course in how to be a showrunner, it was Aaron's partner Duke Vincent that was really production oriented and would um, had things to teach me, and he taught me one right for the first. Really, long before Sandy even joined it, he said, whenever they ask you to do a change, ask who's going to pay for it. And I think that's all I did. Right. And then finally said, you know, I think it's good. And also, you know, there was other things going on. It was interesting. You know, it it was just, you know, he was also, Sandy is new in the position. And, uh, you know, he's got... He's working for a very powerful man, Barry Diller. And Barry Diller probably looked at it and said, wait a second, I like the social drama. Where is it? You know, I don't know what it was. And I'm not sure Sandy would even remember. Because I remember when he was on the show and I brought that up, he was, oh, did that happen? Really? But it it, it did. It yeah. didn't really matter because the episode got, got made. And, and um, we're talking about it 30 years later. Yeah, because it had that special, you know, tent that, Temple, you know, with her singing and carrying on in the peach pit. But you know what? When I think back to Sandy was right. It really wasn't the same tone as the prior episode. It was really more lighthearted, etc. So it wasn't the same tone. And also part of that was a direction, not to fault the director, because as I said, it was quick shooting, non-union, etc. And, um, you know, they just didn't have time. I would have maybe... I would have maybe directed a little differently had I. Matthew has a question here. Did you ever ask any of the cast what uh, what young people might be dealing with at the time to get their perspective or their point of view? Matthew also had a very nice comment for Lily there, a compliment that she's always on top of us about these little fun facts. <laughs> so thank you, Lily. Thank you, Matthew, for the no, they, yeah. they, they, they were not my resource for stories. I, I did find out, I, I gave you a, a hint, you know, you know, Brandon could skate, so we put him on skates. Sure. Brian could sing, so David Silver sang. But uh, the only one, this, you know, these people, we were just trying to get through 12 episodes, and I did have consultants. I had a group called the Maple Center. Uh, you remember the Maple Center with our, our friend um, who ran it here in Beverly Hills, and he gave Karen a lot of info on Isn't It Romantic? And then I had the um, Harvard School of Public Health whenever there were issues in this and other organizations, but I would steal from anybody. So if somebody wanted to tell me something was a good idea, I was going to use it. Right. (laughs) Remember these kids were not like living at home and having the normal. Not a normal life. They were not fighting. 
peers and, and trying to try out for the team and stuff like that. They were on set. They were professional young actors. So <laughs> this show was the one about that. <laughs> yeah. So Infame is uh, where you find it. Tell me about working with uh, this person and casting Lydia Leeds. Um, do, you, do you remember that, either of you? I remember because I was so excited to be included in casting anytime I ever was because it was, you know, as with an acting background, I was, I was very concerned to be, you know, nice to the actors and give them all the opportunity to do their best work and stuff like that and make it a good experience for them. And um, Marcy Kaplan came in and she kind of, she kind of nailed it. And I remember being like pushing for her in there. And I, I really enjoyed uh, her audition. I, yeah, I don't think there, in my memory, there was not much doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's so great in this. I thought she's just, you know, she nails this actress, uh, whatnot. Lily, did you have a, a Lydia Leeds question on your I do. So to start off, Tracy Hatfield wants to know who was the inspiration for Lydia Leeds and the lines written for her. And Kristen Marie adds, was Lydia's diva like behavior a mirror of any of the actresses? Ooh. Uh, Good stuff. <laughs> you know, it's I'm going there this week, Lou. <laughs> well, the thing with the dog, there's a moment where she talks about her dog and she's instructing the driver to go feed the puppy and how she likes the puppy. And there was a little bit of that. That was just that some of the some of the cast, some of the girls had puppies that they smuggled into the dressing rooms and things like that, or they were, you know, they were like they'd be these actresses and then they'd be these little girls with their puppies. Oh, oh that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so that aspect. But like I said, I would have directed a couple things differently and I would have because I would have made her character not quite so um false at all times. You know what I mean? You mm. never we were just marking that the first scene when she's in the makeup thing and she comes over and you don't know who she is yet. We like that scene. That was that was pretty good that she wasn't, you know, putting on airs or whatever. But she was a you know, those behaviors are, are kind of typical. And, you know, and then we did have fun on this set. I want to say one thing. Um, so, so no, it wasn't, we weren't replicating any of the diva things, just, just their lives, which is a lot of takes and you kind of have to sure. come back with your castmates and, you know, the things were in there sort of behind the scenes and the director, et cetera, et cetera, little production problems. We had a production problem right in the beginning, right? They lose their actor and they go to Brandon who's wearing the worst outfit I ever saw with this do-rag thing and his, when they put him on this show, uh, we didn't love that um, in his skin. No, thing. and we did not bring the costume designer Wait. back. It was a mutual thing right after seeing that. And uh, the great <laughs> Diane Kennedy stepped in at that point. Even, you know, even in, like I was saying, the production problems. The last scene, she uh, or later in the show, Marcy Kaplan with the leads comes to uh, Brandon and talk to him. And he kind of doesn't recognize her. And we can all see it's her, you know. And it was like, what happened? She's not really yeah. doing there's things like that little few little few little things but totally. that i don't hopefully didn't really detract terribly from it i think i think those little things are the, are the part of our charm yeah, it's yeah. A character. <laughs> what we love, i love seeing amy hill now she was played the first ad and she was um someone i was in improv class with she's brilliantly funny she's still acting today she's been on hawaii 5 for the last whatever years in over in hawaii and wow She's a wonderful actress. She's, a, you know, she's and really a great comedic performer. So I was so happy to be able to have a part for her. 
who also knew the director. He was. He I was going to say this. Car. This guy right here. You can still hear yeah. us. It's not an audio yeah. clip, but uh, this the director here. Uh, I thought he was. I thought he was perfect in 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 this. Um, what's his name? I'm trying to Alan Blumenfield. Alan Blumenfield. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Um, he he nails this, right? I mean, is he based on the directors from 90210 or just just a amalgam? No, I don't yeah. Know. You know. He was a working actor. He'd been on a lot of sets, so he'd seen it there, and he knows it. Yeah, he likes. He gives that one really great take when he's so surprised that Brandon can. Uh, you got it right. Wow. Okay. And then you do all those angles, you know, so they get kiss and kiss and kiss. You know, we really put Brandon through a lot of stuff in this episode. I mean, and I and, and I yeah with the water. And I remember Karen was pregnant with our son. She, I lit, our house was four blocks from where the spelling offices were, that the corporate offices were then. So it was very easy for me to come home and write with Karen and this in our bedroom. And when we thought about Cheesemeister and the water, I just, I think it was the hardest laugh that, that I had. I still remember how hard we laughed. At. And then we're going to take a picture and, it's oh, really so funny. Yeah. You know, we really rubbed it in. And then the poor guy finds out he's been cut out of the part. In front of all his friends, there's nothing right. worse than that. You know that's oh, and, yeah. uh, and, and and Andrea has that great line that they should sue them, right? <laughs> they should go. Right. Yeah, uh, Melinda asked a question before we came on. I thought this was a good one. How easy is it to get an acting gig by simply being in the right place at the right time in L.A.? Melinda, <laughs> <laughs> I had that question for you. Well, it's really, it's really you have to have all the other things. And then be in the right place in the right time. And that is absolutely true. Just asking the actor, because the one there are so many wonderful, talented actors and performers who you don't know because they couldn't stick it out long enough and they never got to the right place at the right time, but they had the talent. And we know a couple. You know, a lot of people. So they have to have all that talent and all that spark and all that special thing and then be in the right place at the right time. That's what happened. Yeah, totally. in my opinion. Uh, and plus, not everybody looks like Jason Priestley when they're skating. So it makes, <laughs> you know, yeah. it kind of makes sense that that might happen to Brandon, for sure. Uh, Lily, do you have any other fame is where you find it uh, questions to pop in? A couple. Um, so Omar, Omar Daniel says that Laverne was pretty iconic and so much fun. Was there ever any talk about making Brenda bring the character back for a scene or two at the Peach Pit? And if not, why? For another episode. I I, you know, I'm looking at this thinking, why didn't we bring her back to do this character again, again? And and it might be because of the tonal part of it, you know, that that there was, I don't think there was a stench there, but it's, that's too sh- sharp a word, and, or too pungent a word. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, it was something that they said, this isn't the tone, this is, don't do this again. So we didn't think of it, but clearly we should have. And, and I know that... Uh, uh, Shannon, I, I imagine Shannon would have would have enjoyed that too. But let's talk about this writing this stuff for Shannon, uh, the Laverne thing. This is something that could have totally gone haywire pretty quickly. Um, you know, it's a little bit goofy, and she's doing a, a voice and whatnot. It's a soap show, and it's a kids show, and it could have been it could have been read the, totally the wrong way. But it's Shannon Doherty. She's this is what makes her so incredible. This is the reason why you guys fight for her down the line. She's just an incredible performer and an actor, and she's just able to take this and make it her own. And she's just so incredible. So for you, Karen, and 
writing the dialogue of some of this stuff, how were you trying to, you know, go, deal with that line of this being goofy and this being something that uh, Shannon could just take and run with? Well, it got a little bigger and brighter as she got into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was embellishment once she really went all into it, you know, like I would, you know, probably done not quite so over the top and the crowd reaction, maybe not quite so in that way. But, you know, she, she found exactly that character. She did find the character and she, I think she maybe added a few little uh, things. Like oh, she does. Back. There's one that she's all so the Plus the attitude and the laughing and the, you know, the spirit that she brought to it, I thought was, um, was surprisingly great. It was just, you know, cross your fingers and yeah, wow, she did. She really did deliver. I and, and I want to give a shout out to one of the things that's adorable in this clip you did was all that the, that behind her, she's doing, it's my party. Both uh, Kelly and Donna look like they're in the background of Gazaris doing that thing in the 60s that yeah. I remember watching teenage shows that did that thing all the time. And the way that they danced and behind it, that was all Corey's choreography. Aaron made a point of telling me that, so I want to acknowledge that. There you go. I thought, by the way, uh, that we don't ever talk about extras, but this this dude, the, the <laughs> diner patron, I mean, he nails this, right? I mean, is this one of the better extra performances? Of He's, not an extra. He's not an not extra. An extra. No, he'd be featured. He probably had a, a credit on screen, too. Because he's got lines, you know. He's yeah, got, he's he definitely had a couple of lines, but I mean, just the draft. What you want to say, just we have to educate Peter doing this. He's a, it's really, this is embarrassing. <laughs> he's a podcast. <laughs> well, so many actors were like the, day the, players, day players, day small players. parts, one day and out, day players. So featured extra versus an extra versus a day player. Yeah. <laughs> and, but the, the, like the crew on the sets when they were shooting that show that Lydia Leeds was in, um, they were some of our crew. That's why we're saying the unnamed background actors who were standing there pretending to be the, the crew on the set. It was our, it was our crew. So, was so some of these people are, you know, obviously everyone, Shannon nailed it. Shannon found the character, you know, uh, Laverne should have come back when the peach pit needed help. So, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome to see all this cool stuff about, uh, about Brenda and whatnot. And, you know, there we go. She loved Laverne. Christina loved Laverne. Uh, anyway, Lily, do you have any more uh, famous where you find it stuff? I'd love to jump I'll in. I'll wrap it up with this one. Zara Brown wants to know if you ever thought that the Laverne moment would be such an iconic moment in the history of 90210. We got our, our wrist slapped a little bit. I mean, yeah. but here's something that does make me cry. Two things that I think will be interesting for our, our fan girl, all you guys out there, Zara and everybody else. One is, is that you know, this was Melissa River, Joan Rivers' daughter's yes. first part as well. And I'm sure that that came with the, we had Tony Shepard on last week, and I'm sure it was, you know, Joan has a daughter about this age. And I, I'm sure that, because I don't remember, like, she walked in, she was great. And then they say, oh, she's, you know, Joan Rivers' daughter. But, you know, she was that, that. And the other thing that's, you, you, you've heard us talk, or you guys who know the show well know that, that, that 90210, benefited and was able to get life sustained because of the Gulf War, because they suspended ratings while we had episodes. There were, I looked it up. There were five episodes that aired during that period that ratings were suspended. Um, one Man and a Baby, the one with the skydiving, and this, um, Slumber Party, uh, East Side Story, A Fling in Palm Springs, 
and then fame is where you find it. We were the fifth one. So when they end, we had one episode kind of in the middle of things getting back to, and then our rating points jumped three and a half points, and then they just keep going up every week. You're saying after this episode? Well, there were five episodes in a row that people yeah. saw that didn't get recorded in the initial rating. Oh, so interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, this was the last of them. And then we move to this other episode that we're going to talk about. Everybody's talking about it. Um, and I think Brandon is on the cutting room floor in the beginning of this episode, too, right? I think there's a new... <laughs> And nobody said, oh, like, again, nobody... <laughs> right. I, I kind of loved that. I was like, oh, it happened again. Um, talk to me about sort sort of where this inspiration came from uh, between yeah. the two of you. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, we, we have to go back, and we go back to that first episode that we talked about uh, when we started the podcast, um, Beach Blanket Brandon, yes. where they basically said, uh, you know, when Brenda pulls back and says, hey, we're going too fast. <clears throat> and after that point, even though they kind of became a couple again, if you look at the lineup of the episodes that we did, there was nothing pushing the envelope in teenage sexuality. It's one of the things that really put us on the map. We weren't even addressing. Mm. So there I am, and it's week after week of that. And a couple of things happened that, that just went, we can't do this anymore. One was, and, and, and I know that when we, there was a reference even to it in the episode itself, when Magic Johnson declared that he had AIDS. Right. In, at the same week when Anita Hill testified that I'm being sexually harassed by the man you want to go on the Supreme Court, in the same week that an heir, that a Kennedy, when the name Kennedy really, you know, was, was still a glow of Camelot, was also having a rape trial. And I turned to them and said, who are you protecting our audience from? What are you protecting them from? Why can't we address sexuality in a real way? And you know what? We are going to do that. And we're going to do it so that everybody's talking about it. Everybody's focused on it. And the trick was to make that script so everybody of our characters would have a separate point of view and story to tell. About this particular issue. And what's interesting about this season, too, is now now you're more serialized, right? I mean, now we've kind of we're rolling with the characters are, you know, developing things that happened last year and, and whatnot. Or, or Well, no, I, I, that you, serialize, uh, the nature of a serialization really means that it's it follows week after week sure. after week. So, but yes, we, we built on some of the character points that we had established before. <clears throat> but really, um, the most when we really did serialization it was in the summer episodes of season three, and also then um, having to do with with Dylan and his his father getting out of prison. Those were that was serialized. That was each episode just tumbled into the next one. Right. So I don't think. You know, know, but there is, you know, we did lay seeds in this one for things to come. You know, obviously, like. Right you know, David and Donna's, um, David and Kelly's parents to get together. And then, you know, that, yeah, this was, this had, instead of being just a Brandon and Brenda or an A and B or a C story, right. this had like five or six, uh, separate yeah, stories. About that shift. And this might be in the weeds of a, of a conversation here, but you know, we go from the season one of two, two stories 
and now we have multiples. When was that shift sort of made? Do you know? Well, Chuck? we didn't. We, we there weren't. It wasn't a yeah, rule. Well, well, it was. It was. We had more, you know, storytelling, but they weren't really. Um, I don't think the shift was here. I think the shift was really season two to season. Gotcha. Much more than, than here. Okay. Just the realization, but he's saying to have so many different storylines. Right. But well, well, we did. That's one of the things that, that we just said was, you know, we're just having everybody do it. They, they, we didn't do that before. We would have them all together. Like like one of the episodes Karen had written in season two by her uh, on her lonesome was camping trip. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets in the van and there are things going on there, but everybody's in the same place. This was people had different things, different responses. Um, you know, uh, and all of them. Had, oh, only I, uh, uh, Steve, didn't really have a a, a major storyline. Although he's got that wistful look across. You know, he's not really into being promiscuous with rubbers right now because he only cares about one person. As you watch Kelly Taylor cross the lawn at Torrance High School. Right. In this episode two is you know we're going to get into some of the. I'm sure Lily's got some specifics, but this is sort of where we find out that Donna is going to be a virgin. And that this is something that she wants to, <laughs> that she wants to save and all that. So maybe you guys can talk me through how that decision even came about. Well, you know, first of all, I want to make one thing clear, and it, that is a really good question, and we are going to get to that. But but the script that you see, the episode <clears throat> that you saw, went through so much adjustment from the first story outline that Karen and I presented. Really, so we presented. And I'm making up the pages numbers here, so don't know. We presented probably most of our outlines were usually about anywhere between eight and 12 pages. We got 12 pages of notes from standards and practices back on our just our 12 page outline. And clearly we had to do wow. some significant changes. I always remember it, though, as kind of a positive because here we were doing all of this stuff and. And our, our, our woman, Darlene Lieblick, you've heard that name before. She was our standards and practices. She was our censor. She was a friend of the show. And she could tell us, you know, you know, this parameter, if you stay within this, I can let that go. Or if you do this, we're, we're okay. So she gave us a lot of direction. Um, <laughs> and I was just going to say that they also um, wanted it to be Fair and balanced at a time when we used to have networks that had that rule for political. <laughs> that um, never, yeah, <laughs> it was a rule. It was the FCC. You know, it had to be fair and balanced. Mm-hmm. So for for entertainment, you didn't have to. For news, you did. But but they felt standards and practices of fact. They wanted us to be fair and balanced. They really wanted the conservative point of view expressed, not in a demeaning way. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what I think. I'm kind of proud of when I look back and I see that there are every different point of view is represented and they're not all presented as demons or anything. Obviously our kids want, let me just set the, the uh, stage for this one because, and just to correct one thing, I think it was Magic Johnson had HIV, not AIDS, but correct. not to split hairs, but anyway, he's a, you know, he's a, he was a hero to all and has remained so to a lot of people, but he, it was the first like oh my god it's really coming here and in that year between the first season and the second season aids was still a death sentence it was yes. a death sentence so you know and that and isn't it romantic the first brenda dylan episode uh, you know it, it was a story of a woman who had gotten 
gotten it on her first uh, sexual time and, and died from it, actually. She became an activist, but then she actually died from it. So people were dying from this, and it was right. it was tough. And so we felt it was really important. And just at this time, a school district in New York State had started to allow condom distribution in high schools. And this was a radical notion. And it wasn't in L.A. yet, and it wasn't in Beverly Hills. In fact, we talk about, you know, West Beverly and Beverly High in there. And, you know, we're, we're West Beverly, but we're saying, oh, Beverly Hills would never consider it. That was the line in it. And that was sort of the city council position. And then um, so we we did this. After having It was like a sex survey. That was also based in truth, correct? There was a national sex survey, and parents were, were objecting to asking the children, the teenagers, anonymous questions in a survey to get information that in a time when people are dying from sex, right? So people that would ask me all the time, where did you come up with your ideas? I'd say really clearly, I, well, I read. The reason you know, you, USA Today was a font of information about what is the average American reading today? Yeah. What is acceptable to the mainstream? And so and they were, where, you know, I, a lot of these things would, would hear. And that's, I forgot that part about the survey. Yeah, that we say in the in the show that they didn't want they didn't want the survey. They want to ask the kids questions because it might stimulate their interest in sex. Like that's going to stimulate their interest over other stimuli that yeah. there might be. And so, and there was that, or that giving them condoms would make them want to have sex. As like I was saying, seatbelts make you want to drive cars. I mean, that's you know right. Yeah, but so. Uh, I'm curious, you said, Chuck, before that uh, standards and practices gave you back a lot of notes and whatnot. Do you remember any of the specifics of where you guys went off the beaten path in their eyes? Well, you want to talk? We we were talking about this because we used it in a different episode. Um, Maybe Lily could, could, could figure out which one it was. We started an episode at some point where uh, Andrea is walking down the hallway or she's naked. Uh, at a certain point, having that that dream, I think it was in college or something. Yeah. Senior year, yeah, when she Senior. was deciding where to go to school. Yeah, right. thank you, Lily. Well, they let us do Gil that. Then. They would not let us do that. Start the episode, even though it is a dream that that had been established that people have, uh, because they thought we were making fun of a virgin. That's where we were with this episode. Anytime we do sex, you're doing this or that. So we had to figure out where to go. I mean, but I love the fact in one of the scenes in the in the PTA scene at the Walsh House that one of the people talks about, well, it's my taxpayer dollar. You know, that you're spending my money on this. Well, that's a that's an argument. And then the the abstinence argument that Felice Martin does is, a you know, and and, and one of the things that really why Karen is such a, a it was such a pleasure to write these scripts with it, at, it when we when we collaborated so so fiercely at the time is because it's one thing for me to kind of lay out to Karen a conservative would talk about abs- abstinence maybe these kind of things go go play with it see what you come up with and she puts in that wink wink nod nod business right there that's almost probably from a, a, a fairy one of the things we were reading to our kids then winking winking and nod or something I'm not sure but at least uh but at least, you know, it humanized that moment and made it, you know, really, really specific and really powerful. Yeah. And then, of course, Donna has her her moment. And we'll talk about that later, the recourse of that. Yeah. Uh, if that's OK with you. 
Sure, absolutely. I mean, listen, I mean, even you just mentioned Felice here, but this is one of the first times that we're utilizing Felice to be this outspoken sort of conservative, uh, you know, point of view was that how did you guys pick Felice for that? And then Mel Silver is the total opposite, you know, the rebel sort of Mm -hmm. of, of this yelling at people at the house, which I love. Um, How did we get Felice to be, how did we define that as her characteristic point of view? Was it because Donna was going to be uh, you know, outspoken and all that kind of stuff? Well, here's something that Karen and I were, it, it, it goes to the other question, apropos of the question that I didn't ask answer as directly yeah. as, I, as I probably should have. We're trying to think about, well, what really put us over the hump here? How did we get to the point that we finally got clearance to do this episode in the way that we were asking to? And, and I'm pretty convinced that that we got Aaron's support when he said, why don't we make Donna a virgin? Mm. And I think someone pointed out, maybe in the pilot or somewhere else, she gives the implication that she had slept with someone. Well, that was a ruse because with them, you know, this was that. And the moment he said that, it was like, that's thank you, Mr. Spell. I mean, that was giving us someone completely different, opening us up to a different kinds of conversations. And making it that we couldn't be labeled as this sleazy Hollywood kind of thing. Right. Everybody's having sex. Right. No, there was one that was not, you know. Uh, yeah. And I just want to point out, it's, it just is ironic when thinking back, because he always wanted to showcase her sexuality. He he thought Tori was had a beautiful figure and he would say, put her in the bathing suit. She can wear the bikini. Yes, she's. And then yes. He, wanted, he wanted her to really be chased, you know, so it's just it was a fatherly thing. He wanted her to get exposure, but he didn't really want her to be slutty. You know, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get that. So, I mean, and how does Tor- do you remember talking to Tori about that thing that she was going to be, or do you do you did you not talk to her about that at all? You know, I think I mentioned this on the on before. You know, really, if you were, and I've never even talked to Tori about this, but I, I kind of know. I would find out what Tori was thinking a lot from from Aaron because if she had read something or did something or this, I'm talking about all five years, pretty much. You know, you're going to call me, or you're going to call your dad. You're going to call your dad especially since he's my boss. It wasn't to complain. It just no. was to share her points of view often. I, I, I know Tori did not complain. She was a good soldier and a pleasure to work with. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's so good in this series too. I mean, I think Lori pointed out this line here. Do you remember writing this, Karen? I, I remember the moment I thought of it sitting on my bed pregnant with, I guess I remember exactly. You know, those kids and I remember are- Chuck walking by going, what are you doing? And I was saying, I just came up with a great, I'm writing. I just was sitting there smiling. because I just, I said, I got it. I'm okay. And I'm writing. And he was like, yeah, really? And he went by and then he was like, yes, it was so good. No, I remember that one. The uh, line is uh, for people that who are listening great. and not watching are, is uh, if you know, those kids are going to find their way into the pool. Don't you think they need to teach them how to swim? So, I mean, that's, that's that great. is powerful. And, and it was a powerful speech for Don, you know, Aaron loved it. He loved, he loved that. I think that cemented his, his regard for me because it starts with, you know, if you have a pool, you can tell them not to go in. You could put a fence around it, but if you know they're going to try anyway, don't you think you should teach them how to swim? So that's, that he loved that so much. Um, and he really did have a good, uh, you know, uh, stance on a lot of social causes. Um, and he was anti, you know, he was, he popped, Publicized the AIDS issue with um, his, that TV movie that one. And the band played on. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, so, yeah, so but, but, so, but, but giving it to, to Tori was great because it allowed her to be like, a, and I think she was a little, had a little, you know, uh, was apprehensive about doing it and coming out. And it's just like her character is yeah. sort of want to talk. She did that so sweet. And, and she says it so, and there it is. And he just loved that she was the champion, you know, of it. And it was appropriate. It was good. Zara's she was like, like uh, her other kids, but she was the virgin. So that was interesting. But even I really like looking at giving this episode a second look. You know, also when you do the that, that scene in the Japanese restaurant. Yes. When you have well, there's Kelly, the former wild child, and the and Jackie copying that. Well, you know, we talked about sex early on because you were going to be sexually active early on, which this is Los Angeles and kids that happened. Um, and, but then also that that when they start, Mel makes a joke or that you, you realize how uncomfortable David was talking about sex, that he was a young guy yeah, right. and, and didn't really want to. And that's when Karen talks about directing, that's Dan Addius. That's our. That's our. I just want to say again, he was. Uh, he went to high school with Chuck, actually, and he was. Um, I think he went to UCLA when I was there, wasn't he? And was he there? I think so. Um, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and he's. He turned out to be one of the best directors in LA. He has. Has had a wonderful career in television, episodic, and all the top shows. And not that we were a top show then, but I mean, at that moment, you know, he, he did a great job. The sushi. Dinner was a hard scene because you had four people and the camera kind of went around them in this dugout thing like a real re Japanese restaurant. But um, I was just loving that we had the thing with do you smell the fish, you know, because she was pregnant. Uh, Felice, I mean, uh, Jackie, unbeknownst to her, that's, huh, that's, interesting. that's like the sixth subplot. And there's only three little moments of it. She comes into the parents meeting and they say, oh, Felice, how are you? She, you know, and she says, ah, a little bug. Right, so she doesn't feel it, and then she's there. Smell the fish. Ah, I think I'll have my tea. And then the very last button on the whole episode, and that's all we had, except for references by Kelly going. I don't understand why she likes his idea of a good time as a gum massage, and it's like he's a dentist. What you know? And so, <laughs> and so the last line is, "I'm pregnant," you know, and and uh, don't you ever not use a condom? And now she, the mother. <laughs> of a yeah. teenager is going to have another baby, which as you know, she did. And that's but the kind of stuff that for a story-oriented person like myself just brings me no end of pleasure. You drop something in, nobody really realizes, and yet it justifies. You earn the moment when she says, I'm pregnant. It just didn't come out of left field. We had, we had laid it down. And, uh, and sometimes um, sloppy writing, they just let it come out of left field. Really have to earn those moments. Sarah Page Hall asks: Andre and John Griffin were so cute together. Did you ever consider keeping his character on the show and making them a couple? I didn't even realize who that was until you know I saw. I didn't remember him, but yeah, I mean, he was great in this. Was there anything like that? I mean, I thought they, that there might have been a moment, an opportunity there for them. Well, two things. First off, hi Sarah. Sarah's <laughs> from Australia. One of my favorite. One of people really. Helped me in so many ways over the years uh, with uh, the music project and other things. Very so cool. Great to see her. Um, the the you know I looked at that too and said, gosh, they were kind of really nice together. But the, but the fact is, again, we're in second season. We're still counting all of our shekels. We are making sure that we are staying on budget. And if we're going to use this person more and more, what are we using for a triangle with Brandon? Is that where we want to focus Brandon's? 
you know, mojo. So I think that it just took a second degree, but he was so good in this and so clearly, you know, interested in her and then, and in her not being very interested in him, you know, he's almost like sloppy seconds, but then at the end, they, they realized they're going to go to a movie. Yeah, that, had a good moment with Kelly, with uh, Kelly. They yeah. had the heart to heart. Well, that's a big thing. That's the other well, big thing. One of the important things too about this episode was, being afraid to be a virgin, being being yes. being socially feeling like you're socially behind your peers if you were a virgin, which common fear, you know, that it would be, um, especially with all this sex talk going on. And so it was trying to normalize that. So he was also a virgin. So it was like, oh, all right, maybe I'm not such a weirdo. But Kelly gives her the heart-to-heart -heart talk, and it's a good moment for them. It's a beautiful do. moment. It's something that's very topical even today. I mean, she's yeah. basically describing a date rape, right? I mean, it's essentially right. what she's talking about. But, we're, you know, this is in 19... What year is this episode? 93? No, no, we did this 90. one in 90... 92? Yeah. yeah. We'll see so, I mean, this is 30 years ago or so. You know, I yeah. mean... Yeah. Uh, you know, talk to me about that thought process of, you know, this February 6, 1992. So he filmed it in 91. Well, that was her story from, from slumber party. Yeah. And, and, you know, she was supposed to be a, you know, she sort of envisioned, I think, as sort of like slutty mean girl who would maybe learn to be a better person or something. But it turned out she, as we revised the history is that she threw herself at a guy. She, she, she got thrown in the bushes and then she, Spent the next year and a half trying to live up to her reputation. So she just was kind of a, a little loose. But now she said, even though I've changed, maybe from influence from the well, West. How about the other thing? We I forgot to make right from the start, what really blew my mind here is that they're talking about the virus. And they're talking about the yes. condom. It's about they're talking about the virus, which was the AIDS virus, which yes. you're talking about. But just the notion of that, you know, the more things change, the more sometimes they. I mean, for a minute, I thought I was watching a current project, exactly. <laughs> current storyline, given the virus. Uh, uh, what do you got for uh, everybody's talking about it? You got some questions there? Uh, well, yeah, a few of our members also wanted to know about John, um, but there was another question that kind of piggybacked off of the John and Andrea question. And that was, um, during this episode, we see Brandon get jealous of John and Andrea's relationship. Was there any thought during this time to kind of pair Brandon with Andrea? Probably not, but certainly to tease that and to realize that, you know, everybody's human in that way. You know, you, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a kind of a basic thing, you know, oh, I'm not interested, I'm not interested. What do you mean someone else is interested? I, I, they don't have the right. So it's, it, it's kind of that. What I thought was really something I wasn't prepared for um, was, and, and it, it even dovetails back. It's, I think one of the things that connects fame with this one is the way that Brenda could talk to Brandon. Um, mm. You know, because he, she's the one, you blew it, you've done this, you've said things mm -hmm. right. And Brenda, one of the reasons Brenda got the best lines is because Shannon could deliver them. Yeah, and and it's just she just did. She just had that ability to be something else and talk. And so I really like that. And of course, you know, the other plot that we we both had really kind of forgotten about about her journal and that interesting scene that she did with um, Luke, Dylan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that that's that. I mean that that stuff with the two of them is just absolutely incredible. Uh, Lily, what else do you have? 
Uh, Omar Daniel wants to know about Felice and Jackie. While writing this episode, was there already a plan on making Felice, who was so anti-condoms and teenage sex, cheat on her husband just a few episodes later? And as for Jackie, we learn that she's pregnant at the end of this episode. Was there was there a reason for going that way with her character at that point? And did you already kind of have a plan that the baby is what was going to keep Kelly near Dylan while Brenda goes to Paris? <laughs> It's a big question. You know, um, a lot of times with these kind of story arcs and things, um, I, I and I teaching at UCLA, I used to encourage my students to try to remember their dreams and and go to bed with pro, with with script problems and then wake up and maybe sometimes they'll be your subconscious will take over and they get solved. And so I think maybe that was the one more with the baby, quite frankly. Um, with with Felice Martin, um, we did not know, but it became clear was we were, again, we weren't a serialized story. So it was like, we need an episode. Let's grab an episode. What can we do? Who's, I never heard of uh, Boyce, uh, I mean, um, Color Me Bad. Oh, they want to come on the show. You know, you, you just scrambled because even though we were not just getting like we had with fame two or two script order or three script order, there were just so many episodes. You're just looking for things to do. And everybody liked Felice, um, uh, you know, Catherine Cannon. So let's bring her back and let's She's do it good. that way. You know, that real bit of hypocrisy because, you know, um, you know, sex is not, uh, you know, even still. Okay, you know, Everybody can be sexual. Yeah, conservatives and liberals get to be sexual. I'm curious for you both writing for Felice. You know, you're probably the total opposites of Felice Martin, right? Is it fun for you guys to write a character like that and get into that mindset and play with with what you have to be careful because your biases can make the character not appealing, you know. So you gotta be careful, which I think was pointed out to us by this the 12 pages of notes. You know, we probably made made her not as not as the you know, uh, no, but I think her argument was really compelling, and I yeah. remember enjoying that. Remember, well, you wouldn't remember, you wouldn't know. I, uh, when I was getting my master's degree in Boston, I also worked in the state senate and I was a speechwriter. So I loved to write pol political rhetoric. I took that course in Berkeley two or three times, different, <laughs> different eras. So I really love this kind of speech writing, and I think. Uh, when I'm listening to Karen do it or me do it, I say, hey, honey, we could have been speech, right? We could have done that, you know? <laughs> you know the road not taken. But, yeah. but uh, I, I found it really I'm pretty sure you like, wrote that that speech of hers, that one. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. We, I'm pretty much uh, really comfortable in political rhetoric. And and uh, if you're going to do it, you, you, as Karen just said, you don't want to demean the other side, make them look like idiots. Right. Um, we don't need to do that because even though they were conservative, you know, we... The idiots didn't really start showing up to two, 2015 anyway. That's fair. That's fair enough. Uh, back to famous where you find it real quick. Todd H. pointed this out. and He does all of our cool little snippets and clips and all that stuff. So much love to Todd H. But he pointed this out in uh, famous where you find it that we, we have this scene where Lydia and uh, Brandon are talking. And I see the out. Is that the is that the house, the front of the house in the backdrop of the scene that they're in, is that the 90210 house? Could be. What does that tell you? That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> they literally used the set. Yeah. Karen said, called it point and shoot. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's just, you know, let's change the thing. Yeah, you know, you 
we just we moved really quickly. Yeah. And you know, and the first year, even though we weren't doing double ups, we had very little time for post production. Very little time. It just works. Anyway, Lily, what else? What else you have? So let's go back to fame for a second. Just a quick one. Uh, so there's this green shirt, the one shirt in the whole world that Brandon loves and Brenda wants it in order to cover for him at the Peach Pit. Is there some kind of meaning behind this green shirt? Because we do see other characters wear this green shirt throughout the first couple of seasons of the series. I've heard <laughs> it was the same one. It probably was that brand, which I'm just blanking on now, equipment, which just came back recently and it was silk shirts and they would have two pockets here and they'd be in nice colors and feel soft and now they come out with other kinds of prints but it just probably was colors, probably. what was around at the time but but isn't that a thing with i mean the real lydia leads funnily enough and her sister liza were my friends and they were a year apart and they fought constantly over clothing and that is a sibling thing uh, normally boy girl not as much as girl girl maybe um but fighting over clothes just seems like a natural but i don't i don't remember them trading shirts but i have a feeling it was just like what was available to, uh, you know from yeah. <laughs> what else we got lily uh okay so back to everybody's talking about it uh so dylan this is a zara brown question Dylan was known before Brenda as a bad boy. He had a reputation. And then at the end, we have that scene where he begs Brenda not to share any information about their sex life. Um, you know, he says, I don't kiss and tell. You didn't even ask me how I feel. They're going to know who the guy is. Why did you feel the need to include this in this scene? And and what did it have to do with his That's great character? Wow. What was the message oh, you were trying wow. to send about his character? Two for two today. Yeah. <laughs> He was, as a character, very protective. He was that gallant, you know, uh, I'm not going to kiss and tell. He had a, he had his own set of uh, ethos, his own, you know, things of idea of right and wrong, et cetera. And um, I think what we were thinking was that he wasn't so secure that he was going to remain Brenda's boyfriend because, you know, it had started off a little rocky, you know, and everyone, you can't see him anymore. And that was, you know, consistent problem. Um and so, you know, having her like sort of share about it, it sort of felt a little to him. Um, maybe he wasn't the one, you know, maybe he wasn't her, her guy. And if he was, she should have maybe asked him first, which she maybe she should have, you know, mm -hmm. he did have a point. Um, I just thought it was interesting how she handled him because, um, and that's kind of like, that's one of those things where the writing kind of takes over. But like, he was really upset and kind of like walking out. He wasn't begging her. He was like saying, if you don't, I'm just gone. You know, he was, that was his stuff. And she was kind of following after him because she didn't realize that he would be so upset. But once she heard him really being so upset, she turned to her. She said, is it that important to upset him this much over this thing? You know, and let's hear, let's talk more about it. So I think it was a good modeling of how you like work through a thing like that, you know, and she, she gave up on her desire to just, you know, put it all out there, but it was a privacy issue for him. And, uh, and, you know, with his goofy yeah. life, we could understand. Yeah, that was what was, I think she had to have heard that when he says, you know, it's my personal life. It implies something really dark and, and complicated. And uh, indeed that's where we would go with his personal life. Yeah, yeah, the father and all that stuff. This is a good question from Ann Fernando. I'm going to jump in here, Lily. Uh, Chuck and Karen, did you ever want to play a part on the show? 
<laughs> well, we both did actually. Charles sure. had a cameo. He did. A, he did. What, yours was in the limousine. They had a, a, a which that, episode? The, the, uh, the with Jane. With Jane. I'm mm -hmm. in the limousine with Mr. Spelling, looking at uh, Steve. Going, excuse me, we're having a meeting here. <laughs> Very intense. Uh, I love Karen that. actually had uh, you know uh, lines. I had a couple parts. I had two different parts, and um, it's so funny because after a long, you know, time after the show, we really we weren't aware of all the super fandom about it until somebody like no, recognized me talking in the street in Beverly Hills who was a super fan, two people outside Nate Nails as it happens. And I was talking and they kind of recognized my voice. And I was like, so astounded that they could have, re I was a day player. I was like the scene in um, the episode where Luke has um, his little oh, sister. Thicker than water, it's called. Thicker yeah. than water. And my, our daughter was in that, and the daughter of the oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, when, the, when she goes in the bathroom, and she's, you know, she's upset because she, you know, it's her first period, et cetera. And I'm, I'm like, what are you doing in the locker room? You're, I'm like the angry, like, lady. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's right. That's amazing. Yeah. And then, and then, I guess it was four. Season four, wasn't it? With the fire. Oh, great work on that, by the way. That was fantastic. That was and, then okay. five. Five. <laughs> and then five was... Uh, yeah, the fire was season five. Season five, uh, right? It was a fire. It was, and I played. Um, I played the, the. There was a little. Kelly was in the fire. That was a big traumatic thing. But she had the friend who was, <clears throat> who was gay, the girl, and um, and she goes to visit her afterwards. She had yeah. wanted to see her, and I was the new girlfriend of that person. Oh, interesting. Was, okay, yeah. And I, I would cover that. This month, we're going to cover that episode, I think, at some point oh. at the end of the month, right? I think we're doing like a double up, maybe. Oh, yes, we are. Absolutely. Okay, little factoid I just want to say. Oh, double ups. I wanted to say one little factoid, which is so funny, is that the director, because I have, because I, I was wearing my school ring just for character work and uh, from a very small private school in New York, and the director spotted it. And he said, I went to that school, the Bentley school. It was a very small school. The director was 20 years older than Karen, too. Right. Yeah, so it was on a different era. But it was yeah. just so funny. I never meet anybody who went to my school. That circumstance, bizarre. Lily, what else do you have here? Do you have a couple more? I don't have any more questions. I just have the shout outs for Shannon. Okay, yeah, we were gonna shout some. We're gonna do some love, some Shannon love today. So go ahead, what you got? All right, so I'll just, I'll. There's so many of them. I'll do like three at a time. Uh, Kristen Winkler. So what was one of the things that we asked the group is what they thought of Shannon as Laverne, and what were some of their fr favorite Brenda moments, and why do they love Shannon so much? Uh, Kristen Winkler says this was fantastic. Shannon has such a range when it comes to her acting, as far as actresses go. On the show, she was clearly the best. Zara Brown says Laverne was perfect. Her accent was amazing, and it was the only episode that had me laughing. I love Shannon because she is an incredibly talented actress. When she delivers lines, it's powerful. She always speaks out on issues like social justice and animal rights on her Instagram page. She's truly a badass, and she never sugarcoated the truth. The press was on her for years and was against her, and she always maintained her peace and rose above it. She never threw shade towards anyone's in her in her memoir, and she respected everyone even after she left the show. She showed class. Jennifer Lynn Vivala says, I love how strong and confident Shannon is on and off camera. 
Yes. I mean, I think all of those sentiments uh, for Charles and Karen, do you have something that you both eat in, in your own way love about Shannon? Well, we thought she was a terrific actress. That definitely shared <laughs> that point of view. We thought she no. did great. She really um, was a natural. She was. Yeah. And, you know. and she had just rain, you know, she you know, with Brandon in the Walsh family series, you know, we were told, oh, it's Brandon and Brenda, the Midwest kids. They were the, the, the girl next door and the boy next door. You know, the working class guy gets a job and the girl next door. Shannon played the girl next door like no one had ever seen a girl next door. And uh, and it holds up. And uh, it's not surprising that we're we're, we're talking about about, you know, that, that, that what extra she brought to almost every scene she was in. Certainly in the high school years. Absolutely. Lily, do you have anything else or can we wrap up this week's episode and uh, move and put this one in the books? What do you think? Just a couple more shout outs. Okay. Um, Alicia Bonner Wait, says, are we moving yeah. on from Shannon? I just want to say if she would hear this, that we wish her the best and hope that her health stays improves and is, is better and better and better. Yeah. I mean, I'm into that and we all love her, you know, and maybe one day, Shannon will join us here on the show, and uh, you know we can we can start that one after you know uh, Claire comes on. We can start rooting to get Shannon oh. on. The show. <laughs> I'd love to have her here. Um, it's okay. Yeah, Lily. Sorry about that. Do you have anything? That's else? okay. Yeah, Alicia Bogner says Shannon is such a strong person. I admired everything she did as Brenda, as well as every role she's had. My favorite Brenda moments are hers, Laverne, and when she did the teen hotline. Uh, Mindy Roy Hauser says this was an epic scene. She loves Ares Laverne, one of my all-time favorite episodes. She did awesome here from acting nervous to overcoming her securities by taking on an alter ego. And Carrie Hall says, I loved her as Laverne. This is one of my favorite episodes. I love how through the how through the character Laverne, she had the confidence to do a great job. She had the best emotional storylines in the in the beginning, from the pregnancy scare to her breast cancer scare scare. She did a phenomenal job. That's very nice stuff. And uh, wanted to make sure we gave enough uh, Shannon, Brenda, love this week on the show. Uh, nothing, no specific reason. We just feel like, you know, you, we talk about a lot of different things on the show, but it's very important that we point out how talented and amazing she was, if we're going to point out uh, some other stuff as well. So anyway, right. because, well, one, of because one of my favorite things, I just want to get this in real quick, apropos of nothing. Yep. One of my favorite lines in Fame is this was the lines on the page. Just think of how she, great lines on the page. Just think about how she read them. For dessert, we have pie. Peach pie, cherry pie, apple pie, pecan pie, lemon pie, cream pie, and honey pie. But if you want pizza pie, you got to go across the street and ask for Greedle. He'll take care of you. Those were the lines. Love my favorite lines of this episode. But what she brought to those lines. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. She brought some so much life. All right, let's talk about what we've got coming in the future here. Now, on Friday, Larry's back, and we're doing uh, – we've got Prince Carl. Chuck, you know no idea about any of this. In season six – Larry doing... was my favorite – my second favorite collaborator. He knows that. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully he's watching. But we're doing the season six uh, ender. You say it's your birthday when Steve has the big birthday bash and Prince Carl's joining us. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great uh, Kathleen Robertson all throughout that. So that's going to be Friday, eight Eastern, five Pacific. Then next week we're coming back and we're doing the whole uh, Colt storyline 
which is so exciting. Chip's going to be with us, and Alan Toy, Professor Finley himself, is coming on the show. So a lot of uh, a lot of exciting things over the next uh, the next couple of weeks, and we we've got some more that we know are coming up this month as well. So uh, keep tuning in. We love having you all here. Make sure you go to the Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero showshop dot com for all the merchandise and all that kind of stuff. And guys, give us a um, a subscribe here on YouTube. We can totally. Use all that love and as well as the iTunes review. But guys, Chuck and Karen, it's so awesome that you both did this. I know that there's a lot more we can do. I already put in requests to Chuck for for a couple of Karen's things. So uh, thank you guys uh, for doing this. Thank you, everybody. A lot more. See you next week. Lily, thank you so much for all the questions. We'll be back on Friday. All right. Later, guys.